and welcome to The Watcher's Diaries, a weekly podcast all about Buffy. I'm Mary. And I'm Froggy. And this week we're talking about season four, episode 10, Hush. Creepy bastards, creepy bastards. Oh. So I'm pretty sure you all are hearing this in the middle of our hiatus, as I realized <laughs> in my planning and scheduling that Valentine's Day is a Tuesday. So of course, I'm going to throw Bewitched, Bothered and Bewildered up on actual Valentine's Day. Uh, but when we return from hiatus, it's going to be book club time with the first two parts of The Lost Slayer. Look for a link of where to find the book in this week's show notes. And speaking of books, One Girl in All the World released this past week uh, the sequel novel to Kendare's Blake's In Every Generation, which follows Willow's daughter and a new generation of Scoobies. I can't wait to read it. That is actually probably coming on vacation with me. <laughs> Yay! And we just found out like yesterday we're getting like a Tara McClay oh. prequel novel about Tara in high school and like her first crush. And I'm just, I'm so excited. I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah, when that you in August. Yeah, when you sent me that, I think out of anything that excites me because I love a good prequel about someone that we met later on in the journey. Yeah. So getting to see her before she got together with Willow and the Scoobies. And we also love we also love a good awkward teenage lesbian experience. <laughs> oh, we love a good awkward teenage lesbian experience. We love Tara. And I love that this is going to give us a bit of insight into, you know, why she was so timid mm-hmm. when we first meet her. Uh, the shit that goes on with her family. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, we're going to we're going to get a bunch of that. And I'm so excited to learn more about Tara's story. Yeah, because we yeah, we know like we know we know a little bit, but yeah, it's good. I'm glad that we're going to get a book focused just on her. And also it's nice. I also like when we get stories that are a person outside of the big relationship that they're in. Because a lot of Tara's story in the series revolves around her being with Willow and all the stuff that goes on. So it's nice to get more of a person separated from that. Exactly. Okay. But now let's talk about some creepy bastards. Yes, let's talk about some creepy bastards. It aired December 14th, 1999, and our synopsis is Sunnydale is silenced when mysterious entities from a children's tale known as The Gentleman steal everyone's voices in order to harvest organs from the populace. Despite being unable to hear the silent cries of those in trouble, Buffy must stop the slaughter by finding alternate ways to communicate with Giles about the dangerous beings. Pretty straightforward. Yeah. What's our international titles? So a lot of the countries translated this episode as silence, which makes sense. makes sense. But also it's kind of interesting because if you look down the line at Doctor Who, you have a group that bears a remarkable resemblance to the gentleman called the silence. So that's just a f- so I took all of that out just because it's kind of like anyone that had hush. So in Finnish, we have silent people. Okay. French, a deathly silence. German, the big silence. Italian, the scream that kills. Ooh. This is my, the next one's my favorite. Okay. My, my favorite. Romanian is shh. Just shh. Shh. Just shh. <laughs> yes. S-H-H. Shh. Oh, no, that might be my favorite as well. I I like, again, I like the scream that kills. 
I know we've talked a lot about Italian titles sound like actual, like they could be very atmospheric Italian yeah. horror movies, but just the Romanian just being shh. I mean, there's something about that. Just something yeah. about the whole shh. Yeah. Especially because like, yeah, the whole thing, like everything is just not like music through the whole episode. Yeah, which is funny because my notes for this week were actually really short because there wasn't a lot of dialogue until I started pulling in information from like all the supplementary materials, Mm -hmm. like the creator's commentary, the wiki article, the monster gun, and then it still turned out to be 13 pages of notes. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But I mean, hey, at least, you know, it's... It would have been a lot longer than that without the, you know, if we had dialogue. Actually, that's what Mr. Froggy even said. He's like, man, Mary's notes are going to be really short this week because there's no dialogue. (laughs) You would think. (laughs) So there's no previously on this week. Instead, we go right to psych class where Dr. Walsh is talking about communication, the act itself, and the moments that come before the act, the feelings and sensations we have no words for. Wanting to demonstrate this, she asks Buffy to come to the front of the room. She introduces Buffy as... A typical college girl. Oh, Dr. Walsh. Only (laughs) if you knew. And you will, but not today. Yes, but she does, I mean, she does seem like a typical college girl. She then instructs Buffy to lay down on her desk, which is really just a card table at the front of the room. Buffy hesitates, but Walsh assures her she is perfectly safe. And so she does so. This is another scene where I just, I adore Buffy's outfit. I know Mm -hmm. when the creator went back and looked at it, he was like, what is this like bam bam top we put her in? But I... I liked it. I I, liked it. You know what? The thing is, and I think he's looking at it from the perspective of being a guy who was older in the 90s. Like he wasn't a teenager in the 90s. He wasn't a teenage girl. No. This outfit, the whole outfit that she's wearing with the skirt, like, yes, when you look at it on a beautiful girl like Sarah Michelle Gellar, it seems a little weird. It's a little baggy, a little, you know, it's not, it's not what you would imagine considering that she's some of the stuff that she's worn. Yeah. But it is a very appropriate yeah. summer, warm weather, college girl look. And the boots that she's wearing with it. Oh, yeah. I loved I loved the whole thing. Like, and I, I, I think I blame, like, a lot of Buffy and Willow's outfits mm-hmm. in this season, the skirts with the boots with being like, that's how I'm going to dress in college. And then there were 8 a.m. classes and I just wore pajama pants. That's exactly it. Yeah, I wore the same jeans over and over until they could stand up by themselves because I couldn't be bothered to do laundry. (laughs) Once Buffy is situated, Walsh asks Riley to join. And this part, I know know there's a reason why, but this part struck me as a little like, that's strange. With him saying something like just a demonstration and her telling him to be a good boy. Like, I I know we're going to go hardcore into the mommy issues later this season, but ew. I think, you know, like, I think because the two, like, we're going to, you know, ignoring the fact that we're going to find out about this scene later, ignoring the fact that it's that they've been they've been dancing around each other, you know, flirting. Like I think this kind of does go in with the whole thing, you know. Like they are and they are communicating. That's the whole point of the uh quote unquote demonstration is supposed to be about communication and making somebody comfortable. But yeah, we could do a whole we could do a whole episode on Buffy's psychology. <laughs> yes, we could. He goes over to Buffy holding her like he's going to kiss her and she says it's all very strange. Yeah. 
Yeah, it is. But with good reason. Because the moment Riley tells her that if he kisses her, it will make the sun go down, we all realize that we're in one of Buffy's dreams. Riley does, in fact, kiss her, and the sun does go down. The lecture hall, now empty, save for the two of them. He tells her that he told her that would happen, and Buffy says, fortune favors the brave. This, along with fortune favors the bold and fortune favors the strong, are three common translations of a Latin proverb. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's one, pro- like, I don't know. I can't tell if they're linked proverbs yeah. or it's one proverb and just everybody interprets it mm-hmm. a slightly different way, but they all mean the same thing. And these sayings are often used by military regiments around the world, often uh, often as mottos, which is actually kind of fitting, considering the whole initiative storyline. As they sit there for a moment, Buffy hears what sounds like humming, a child humming. This turns into a child singing, and nope, <laughs> just no. <laughs> no, no. Oh my Crazy God. children are a big no for me. No. Like, actually, this whole episode is nightmare fuel. It's, yeah, it's this, this entire, between the creepy singing... Uh, no yeah the whole it's it's a whole honey bunches of nope venturing out into the hall Buffy sees a young blonde who I assume is supposed to be a younger version of herself holding a box she sings a nursery rhyme that is also supposed to serve as a warning I'm gonna try something different here and see if I can get it to just play because uh, then you don't have to deal with me or Holly trying to sing (laughs) (laughs) can't even shout can't even cry the gentle They need to take seven and they might take yours. Can't call to mom, can't say a word. Fuck that. Gonna die screaming, but you won't be heard. I hate that so much. I was like, I was like, I'm gonna try something different this week. Like, yeah, no, who? Yeah. So that, yeah. Unlike a lot of things in Buffy's dreams, this seems pretty straightforward. Yeah. Uh, telling Buffy exactly what is about to happen, what the gentlemen are gonna do, and Buffy even gets a glimpse of one of them when Dream Riley lays his hand upon her shoulder. She turns to face him, and bam, is <sighs> met with the image of one of the gentlemen. This jolts her awake right as actual sight class is ending. <laughs> Willow, having sat next to Buffy and therefore having known she was sleeping, begins to talk about how interesting class was. How riveting. And the revelations, everything they need to know for the test was just laid out bare. She would have really hated to miss that. (laughs) Buffy says to just tell her she wasn't snoring. Very discreet. Was she dreaming? Yeah, it was kind of intense. As they leave the class, Riley joins the discussion. Intense? But she looks so peaceful. Only for a moment. Buffy is just the teeniest bit embarrassed at being busted. (laughs) He asks if they're headed towards Judd and Buffy says no. The student center. Which I guess is still on Riley's way because he begins to act like he's coming along. Asking about Buffy's dream. Willow takes this as her cue to dip and says she'll see them after her Wicca group. Turns out Willow just wants to spy. (laughs) (laughs) We've all been there. (laughs) We've totally all been there. Rushing to a ledge to hide behind a notebook and listen in. (laughs) Riley asks about Buffy's dream and she says she really doesn't remember. Well, was he in it? She's not saying a word. 
I like the like little sing song way she says that because it's mm-hmm. almost like the rhyme. Yeah. And I just, that was a really nice touch. Riley then changes the subject to what she's doing that night. Patrolling. Patrolling. Petroleum. Petroleum? <laughs> Tonight she has crude oil. This poor boy is forever confused. Uh, he's, you know what? And again, like I, there is something so charming about Riley in because he yes he is part of this secret commando group Uh uh-huh but when you look at him on the surface like so often a guy who would be part of this super secret commando group would be this completely like over the top aggressive knows exactly how to talk to girls but this guy he's still (laughs) a blithering idiot when it comes to talking to this pretty girl And homework. What about him? Oh, just grading papers. Sounds fun. Not petroleum fun, but it passes the time. They reach the point in the path where they need to separate and realize their plans mean they won't see each other till... Yeah. For a moment, it looks like they're going to kiss. And then Buffy says, what papers? Huh? The papers he's grading. What are they? They only have the final. Oh, they're late papers. Ah. Well, class. As they go their separate ways, Buffy mutters to herself about fortune favoring the brave. One of my favorite facts about this episode (laughs) is that the guy two rows behind Mm -hmm. Buffy with a dark haired girl in front of him is Andy Hallett. Yep. As in the creator's former personal assistant who will go on to play Lorne on Angel. And if you all thought the lecture hall looked a little more packed than normal, you were not wrong. According to the creator, they crammed everyone they could into those seats. Like if you were on mm-hmm. set that day, PA, crap, heating, get in a chair. Yeah. And you know what? It's it's kind of great because it is a very realistic view of this point in a semester mm-hmm. where you may get people who they don't come to class on a regular basis, but we are at a turn up. A point where we're going to have a final soon. So everybody has to be there. Yeah. And the whole idea is that he really wanted to um, emphasize the vulnerability of this moment. Like the fact that the two of them were about to kiss in front Mm -hmm. of this large group of people. Yeah. Credits. Still awesome. We return from the credits to Giles' place where Giles is on the phone talking to Buffy about the rhyme in her dream. She's sure it's nothing she heard in her childhood. All right, well, he'll work on figuring it out because while it could indeed be a prophetic dream, it could also just be the mystery that is Buffy's brain. (laughs) As he hangs up, he asks Spike, who is now untied and just rolling about free. I love the way that this scene is set up with Giles on the phone and then you see Spike in the background. Oh, yeah. Like we're getting and it's it's just so funny because over these past few episodes, you saw them getting, you know, he started out, he was completely tied up. And then at the end of the episode, he had his arms weren't weren't tied up. And but now he is just roaming free, has his own cup of blood in the fridge. (laughs) So he asks Spike if he's ever heard of a group called the Gentlemen. The what? The Gentlemen. No. And they're out of Weedabix. Giles knows that. They're out of Weedabix because Spike ate it all. I would pay cash money for a sitcom of Giles and Spike living together. Oh, there's a couple pairings this this episode that I would yeah. pay money yeah. for. Like this, this, like the two of them living together and like add in a laugh track. Oh, yeah. And you got a perfect, especially like a perfect 90s sitcom right here. <laughs> well, then Giles needs to get more. He thought vampires ate blood. They do. But he likes to crumble the Weedabix into the blood, give it a bit of texture. (laughs) 
as he's saying this, he's carrying a jar of peanut butter, a spoon, and like graham crackers <laughs> over to the couch. And we need to talk about this. Yeah. We need to talk about this. Not his choice of snacks, but I mean, excellent choice of snacks. Yeah. <laughs> not his choice of snacks, but the fact that he has snacks, just like he asked for a cookie mm-hmm. last episode, and he will develop a taste for blooming onions in seasons to come. Spike eats. Mm-hmm. He eats food we never saw angel eat food Mm -mm. he would drink every once in a while in order to blend in and he emphasized that it was in order to blend in but he never ate and drew certainly never ate and we never see darla eat until she's human again this is something that i think again just emphasizes how human spike is at his core Mm -hmm. even without his soul Oh, yeah. And it's what makes Spike so fascinating because he puts on this big show, builds up this persona that is nothing like the man he was as a human, but he remains the most human of all the vampires mm-hmm. we see on the show. And I love that for him. And and the other thing is, the other thing about, about Spike is in that you show like, a, the you know, all the killing and horrors aside, he just loves life. He does. One of the things, like, when you go back to, when you go back to the judge, like, he didn't want humanity to go away. Like, he loves being on earth he loves yeah he has to kill he, he kills humans but he loves all the shit that goes along with it well they're happy meals it, with it's legs yeah like that and and you know like you know angel angel is is you know an interesting character in his own right but spike is even more so because he shows all of these traits of being a human while not being a human. Yeah. Giles does not love this for him. And <laughs> says that since the picture Spike just painted means Giles will never touch food again, <laughs> Spike needs to pick up his Weetabix himself. Seriously? Outside, Xander and Anya approach. Xander not understanding where whatever Anya is talking about is coming from. How can she say he doesn't care about her. Well, he doesn't care what she thinks. He doesn't ask about her day. Wow, she really did turn into a real girl, didn't she? See, he makes jokes about her pain. He doesn't care. He does care. How much? He, you know, they... (laughs) Xander's having a hard time finding the words to express himself. They'll talk about it later. But Anya wants to talk about it now. And she says as much as they head into Giles' apartment. Giles sarcastically thanks them for knocking. They (laughs) totally should have knocked... But Giles, you could fix that by locking your door. I would have loved a moment like that where because it, and and in it's one of those moments in TV where people are so used to walking into the next scene, mm-hmm. just walking into somebody's house because it keeps the flow of it. Just once I would love to have somebody going to let themselves like continuing the conversation and going to let themselves into somebody's house. But it is locked. Yeah. And lead yeah. to a moment of confusion where they're like, wait a second, what's going on here? Why can't I get in? And I mean, yeah, okay, vampires need to be invited in. Demons don't. Witches don't. Lock your damn door, sir. To be fair, like I, it, although like it just makes me think of how like when I go to my mother-in-law's house, back in the, back when I first moved in here and I would knock on her door, she would get mad at me because she was like, <laughs> don't make me come to the door and open it up. You can just walk right in. That was like last night. Um, 
the kids are stopping by through like this past week and this upcoming week to see the dog learn his routine because they're going to be collectively taking care of him while we're, mm-hmm, while we're mm-hmm. gone. And they're not, we're just yelling it's open. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like we all just walk into each other's houses. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing because also like, especially if I'm expecting you, it's like, just walk into my house because if you knock, you're going to rile the dog up even more. Literally the last time you arrived and people were scattered throughout the yeah. house and you yeah. just like wandered around till you found someone. Yeah. Like I, I just walked in, like I live there. I'm like, I'm just coming in. Now that did make poor Tiba distressed. <laughs> did not understand but yeah he got over it fast yes but yeah no literally i walked into her house couldn't find anybody <laughs> but and that <laughs> another sidebar back when i was when i was traveling down here but when i still lived at home one time because i would i would go to my in-laws house because mr frog would still be at work and i didn't have a key to his apartment yet so one time i went to their house walked in found my future father-in-law laying on the sofa snoring with the dogs found my mother-in-law in the bed snoring with with another dog was like okay i'll go upstairs and visit mr frog's brother got halfway up the steps could hear him snoring so i'm like okay <laughs> what do i do now so i just got in the car and drove around but yeah, everybody everybody was asleep and i didn't feel comfortable enough to like go to the kitchen table and just sit there Oh, oh. <laughs> now I'm like, I walk in and I sit down like nobody's there. It's just OK. <laughs> I have a key. Anya says what they have going isn't a relationship. Xander doesn't need her. He just likes orgasms. <laughs> well, that catches Spike's attention and he sits up. Xander reminds Anya of how they've talked about private conversations and the fact they become less private when held in front of his friends. Spike says they're not friends. Anya can continue. (laughs) And Giles begs her, please don't. (laughs) Again, this is such a great sitcom moment. Oh, yeah. Like you add in, like you just add in a laugh track. But this is important. But why is it there? Again, Giles learning things against his will. Yeah. Xander says his mom said Giles wanted him to sit by. Oh, right. He more meant after sunset. He needs Xander to take Spike for a few days. (laughs) What? The question comes not just from Xander, but from Spike and Anya as well. Spike says he is not staying with Xander. (laughs) Giles explains that he has a friend coming to town and they would like to be alone. Oh, Anya surmises it's an orgasm friend. (laughs) It's the most appalling way he could describe. Giles. Poor poor Giles. Xander says he is not roaming free. If he's staying with Xander, he's getting tied up. And Anya wants to know what about their romantic evenings? Because yeah, Spike is not dealing with them shagging while he's tied to a chair three feet away. (laughs) Xander assures him that's not his fantasy either. Giles is just trying to block out the arguing, the noise. He is having such a bad time right now. We go to Willow then and her campus Wiccan group. Oh, but there is one good thing about this group. And she is sitting on the floor. Yay. Tara. We got Tara. You know what? The thing about this Wiccan group is it is a very good show of what a college Wiccan group would have been. Oh, we're going to talk about this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yes. But first, we are finally introduced to Tara. Oh, um, we the love group, her. however, is a joke. Uh, no real magic users present. And 
duh, because it's a Wicca group. They talk of bake sales, dance recitals, newsletters, but when Willow suggests actual spells, they shut her down, making sarcastic comments about getting on their broomstick and talking about how certain stereotypes are not very empowering. This is the danger of people like Silver Raven Wolf, y'all. Uh-huh. How ever-loving fuck are you going to claim to be a sect of witchcraft and not practice witch? I can't. I can't. Yes. From her place on the floor, Tara tries to speak up back Willow. Aww. But after getting cut off twice, she just shakes her head when they finally ask if she has something to add. Willow, however, is now intrigued. Tara is, of course, as we all know, played by Amber Benson. Amber is just beyond talented. Being an actress, a singer, a writer, and a producer. Aside from Buffy, she's appeared on Supernatural and Jane Espenson's web show Husbands. She's written comic books alongside Christopher Golden, including several Tara and Mm -hmm. Willow-themed issues for Dark Horse. She's written an urban fantasy series about Death's daughter. She's just all around amazing and we love her. Yep. Oh. And we're we are we are so glad that we got her in Buffy. Like she's just oh, so yeah. like she's Tara is so good. And then yeah, a few things about the Wiccan group and their scene. Um they're awful. They're awful, but mm-hmm. they're purposefully awful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like with Buffy and Riley and Xander and Anya, we have a miscommunication here. But unlike the others, this is not about the inability to express one's feelings. This is about the misuse of a word. Empowering. Mm-hmm. The girls here throw around empowering without actually knowing what it means, which like Froggy just said, is so very true of a college group. Um, But again, like I said, this is intentional because according to the creator, they're earthy, crunchy and useless. Yeah. Yeah. Like they 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 want to they want to use that label. But really, they are just hippies rebranded. Oh, and not the good kind of hippies. No, no. Oh, knew so many, so many like and not even not necessarily in like a group in college, like a group in college. But I knew so many of those kinds of girls in college that just were like. Oh, too much. Meeting back up with Buffy, Willow has clearly told her of her disappointment because as they enter their dorm room, or no, as they enter their dorm, Buffy says, not stellar. Nope. They're all talk. Talk, talk, talk. Gaia, moon, menstrual life force. Willow thought that maybe after a few sessions, they'd get into something real, but nope. They're just a bunch of wanna blessed bees. Yeah, I love it. Phrase ever. Love it. Yep. And it doesn't end there. Willow goes on to tell us that nowadays, every girl with a henna tattoo and a spice rack thinks she's a sister to the dark ones. (laughs) They enter their room and Buffy says she's sorry it was a bust. Willow just wants to one day be able to float something bigger than a pencil. How are things with Riley? They looked pretty snugly after class. (laughs) Buffy will direct Willow back to her own comment. R.E. All talk. They almost, but Willow wants to know what she has to do. Tie them together? She needs her vicarious smoochies. (laughs) Buffy says she just gets so nervous. She starts babbling. Then he starts babbling. It's a babble fest. Plus, every time she talks to him, she has to lie. The Slayer thing comes up one way or another. She just wishes she could come clean. Down in Initiative HQ, Forrest tells Riley that he can't come clean. (laughs) He knows he can't. He just wishes... This once, he could. Forrest says that is their burden to bear. They are tasked with a job any girl would find cooler than cool. And yet, they have to Clark Kent their way through the day. (laughs) Riley says that Buffy's special. Wow, she's special? (laughs) See, the first 438 times Riley said that, 
It didn't register. But now, now Forrest knows she's special. This again, this again, like I love the friendship between Riley and Forrest. Like it is such a good, realistic view of friendship. And again, like you're you're getting this regular conversation going on in a super secret underground lair. Yep. That's why, like, that's why, like, you know, it's going to get a little, it's going to get a little ridiculous later on. But, like, leading up to that, you know, everybody else finding out that Riley's in the initiative, everything leading up to it is a very realistic way of putting it in this universe. Oh, absolutely. See, Forrest is naturally inclined to talk too much. Riley isn't. Then make with the kissing. (laughs) As they head up in their super secret spy elevator, we leave them and join Xander and Spike in Xander's basement of sadness, (laughs) where he is currently tying Spike to a recliner. Spike doesn't get why he has to be tied up. It's just while Xander's sleeping. Which, speaking of, can we just take a moment... And talk about the fact Xander's bed is a pull-out couch. I don't think that was made obvious enough in previous episodes. No. Because this is the first time I really noticed it. Yeah, yeah. So not only has his family forced him to move to the basement, not only are they charging him rent and making him pay for groceries, but they didn't even let him take his bedroom furniture downstairs. Right, right, yeah. Xander is way more adjusted than he has any right to be. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he is, he is... Okay, we're going to get we're going to get a little deep right now. I like getting deep. Let's get deep. It's a matter of he probably doesn't realize how fucked up it is. No, like it's one of those things where when you look back on it in your life, you're like, oh, man, yeah, that really was fucked up. But when you're living in the moment, you're like, yeah, whatever. This is this is my life. This is the way it's the way it is. I mean, I think he has to realize to some extent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But you I don't. Mean, I think I think he's willfully ignoring yeah. how fucked up it is to like, you know, keep himself sane. Mm-hmm. But all the time he spends at Buffy's with Joyce, he's got to know that this isn't how parents should be. Mm-hmm. Like Joyce, who has willingly let these children run through her house, who feeds them all, who left Buffy's room the same way, except for piling boxes in it. <laughs> yeah. You know, Giles, who has no obligation to feed these children, <laughs> but does so. And yet his own parents won't do that. Yeah. So I think I think he I, like he may not know the extent to which it's fucked mm-hmm. up because he's got to think, you know, there are other families like mine and there are. Oh, yeah. But I think part of it is just telling himself, well, it's not that bad. Like, because otherwise you're going to be really fucked up. Mm-hmm. And further, further evidence that everybody needs a good therapist. Mm-hmm. And again, like I would love a supernatural therapist. Oh, <laughs> that's going to be, that's going to be my next, that's going to be my next story. It's going to be a supernatural therapist. Their first client has to be the ghost of the wash basin. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, <laughs> the wash basin ghost. Yes. Yes, the yes, the haunted wash space. <laughs> Spike tells Xander he wouldn't bite him anyway. Yes, he would. He is very biteable. Not likely. He will have Spike know that he is moist and delicious. <laughs> All right. Yeah, he's a real nummy treat. Damn straight. Things are quiet for a moment. <laughs> And then Spike starts giving Xander shit, (laughs) imitating Anya with a high-pitched, Xander, 
Don't you care about me? <laughs> Shut up. I love We never talk. Shut up. Xander. Again, Rob, where are six seasons of Spike and Xander? I know. Can we, can we get a sitcom that is like Spike, Xander, and Giles? I know. Because, uh, oh my God, that would, that, because like, J- poor Giles having, like, dealing with one of them would be bad enough. But having to deal with both Xander and Spike would probably cause him to just move out. But also, like, okay, so now, I guess, now that Spike is untied, is he just crashing on the couch permanently? I get, yeah, I mean, I guess he's is there another, sleeping in the bathtub. Is there another room in that house? So, I guess not. <laughs> Giles' house is forever a mystery. I know. So, I guess not, because... Spike was being kept in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. At the end of the season, when everybody's fighting, Anya and Tara go to hide in the, in the bathroom, bathroom to get away from it. So it implies that the only thing in that hallway is like the door to the kitchen of the bathroom in like maybe a linen closet. There's yeah. no other room down that hallway. It's a very mysterious. So he's kind of almost got like a lofty studio right. kind yeah. of thing going. Yeah. <sighs> Forever a mystery. See, this is this is me again needing complete floor plans and layouts. Oh yeah. Back at Giles's, Giles is going through his books, trying to figure out what the seven the gentleman need is when Olivia arrives. There's about 0.2 seconds of small talk concerning her flight before they move to kissing. Giles setting his glasses atop the desk and atop the notes he made on the gentleman. And this is where the nightmare fuel really oh, begins. Uh. The gentleman, hidden in a clock tower, opened a small wooden box. A box identical to the one the young blonde was holding in Buffy's dream. With this box, they collect all the voices of the people of Sunnydale. Kind of like Ursula in her shell. The next morning... Buffy awakens in her dorm. She gathers her things and heads down the hall to wash her face and brush her teeth, unaware anything is amiss, until she returns to her room and tries to say good morning to Willow. Nothing comes out. Willow tries to speak and the same thing happens to her. After a moment spent panicking that one or the other of them have gone deaf, Buffy realizes that no, they can't talk. And neither, it seems, can anyone else on their floor. Xander also awakes to find his voice gone, <laughs> which he blames Spike for. I like you can you can see him mouthing, you did this to me. In response, Spike just flips him off in English as he uses two fingers instead of just one. Xander then tries to call the girls. And while that goes about as well as one might think, I just love the look Spike gives Xander at that. Like, are you really that stupid? Yeah, I love how calm spike is like all the humans are freaking out and he's just like oh it's a tuesday in sunnydale at riley's people are panicking as well but not riley and forest oh no they're in full commando mode and forest even had the forethought to grab a little pad and pen good for forest good job, good job. they head to their super secret spy elevator and at first everything is fine until they're unable to give the vocal match Riley tries breathing into the speaker like it's a breathalyzer. I, I mean, yeah. points for trying to get some sort of sound out to get the activation to work. Shocker, that doesn't seem to work. He then pries open the wall of the elevator to get an access panel so that he can enter the override code. But it's taking him a while, and so lethal countermeasures start to engage. When they finally do arrive in HQ, they are greeted by Walsh, 
who just motions to a sign on the wall. In case of an emergency, use stairwell. This, like, we we know shit's going to get real later, but the whole comedy leading up to the actual nightmare is fantastic. And because everybody's going to real, you know, figure out how to work in the situation that they have. But this initial, (laughs) like, you dumbasses. The student center is eerily quiet. Tara enters looking around, almost as if looking for someone. Willow, perhaps? Mm. Someone drops a bottle, the sudden sound of shattering glass causing a few people to jump. Not seeing who she was hoping to find, Tara continues on. And the mean streets of Sunnydale, well, they are just a mess. (laughs) Some businesses closed and boarded up while others are open. People standing around lost, sitting on the ground, crying, acting like it's the end of days. (laughs) Creatures on soapboxes with chalkboards telling people what passage to read. And a guy making a profit by selling whiteboards. $10 a pop. I know. I was like, dude, dude, you could get like at least 25. Oh, yeah. For each of those at this point. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was I. I appreciate the hell out of that guy. We love a good war profiteer. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like he he he's like, this shit sucks. I can make some money off of it. Buffy and Willow exchange a sort of roll of the eyes, but come their arrival at Giles's, they're each sporting one. Yep. As they walk in the door, Xander, who has been sitting on the couch with Anya, jumps up to greet them. They all wave awkwardly and Giles places a reassuring hand on Buffy's shoulder. Seeing the book, she mouths, anything? And Giles shakes his head. Taking off their whiteboards, Buffy sets her on the desk while Willow uses hers to write, Hi, Giles! (laughs) It makes him smile and he goes to hug her. In his DVD DVD commentary, the creator notes that with her eyes and the way she uses them when emoting, Allison could have easily been a silent movie star. And in this episode, she kind of is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, that's that's one thing that, like, some of the musical cues reminded me a lot of the old school silent era. Glancing down at the desk for a moment, Buffy sees the rhyme she told Giles about, specifically the first two lines, can't even shout, can't even cry. She points to them, but Giles just shakes his head again, right as Xander draws their attention to the television, where a newscaster, from obviously outside of Sunnydale, is saying that the whole town of Sunnydale has been quarantined due to a laryngitis outbreak (laughs) that some are linking to a flu vaccine. So yes, kids, there were even anti-vaxxers in the 90s, and they were just as stupid as they oh, are yeah. now yeah they they unfortunately like fortunately in the 90s they weren't as widespread yeah kevin kevin and i were laughing about that because we didn't have as much social media to give them a platform yeah and that yeah and there weren't as many people who were just making shit up yeah Xander thinks the laryngitis excuse is ridiculous, <laughs> and buffy writes that she's going to go into town giles should keep researching town Why? Because, as Dr. Walsh's text-to-speech computer program helpfully informs us, the town is going to be chaos. And, like Buffy, she wants to keep a handle on things. She tells the boys to dress as civilians, as a military presence will only make the panic worse. Riley wants to know what is happening, and Walsh tells them they're looking into it. But for now, go. Help maintain order. The main streets of Sunnydale are starting to look a little Wishverse-like. Mm-hmm. A car has hit a fire hydrant, which I don't understand. I don't get like, the car. Yeah, yeah. We horns were- and streetlights still work. 
But whatever, it's a mood. Yeah, uh, yeah. I like the like the signs on the wall that's like, yes, we're open. <laughs> yeah, people continue to wander around aimlessly, some getting into fights. But thankfully, Riley is there to break up said fight, smooth things over. Seeing him, Buffy heads his way, and while Riley is doing his best to send one of the parties on their way, Buffy secretly and subtly breaks the hand of the other party so that he doesn't hit Riley with a pipe. Seeing each other, the two embrace. Is she okay? Buffy nods. The sound of breaking glass then catches their attention and Riley motions he should go, while Buffy motions that she was headed in the opposite way. They start to separate, but then Riley catches her wrist and they kiss. Now, I have no love for Captain Cardboard, as you know, but I do love this moment and the idea that it conveys, which is basically the entire point of this episode, Mm -hmm. that Buffy and Riley's problem is that their words kept getting in the way. So you remove words, you remove spoken communication, and people have no choice but to act. Mm-hmm. And after that lovely moment, we're treated to more nightmare fuel! Yay! Oh, God. You can't see it, but I have like a little meh emoji <laughs> face in my notes. Because <laughs> like Der Kinderstad, I hate these fuckers. I... So much! Yeah. Even if they do dress like one of my favorite literary characters. Yeah, their their whole thing. Like, and, and also shout out to Doug Jones in this episode. Oh yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about <laughs> Doug in a second. Yay, good, because oh my god. Yeah, I both love and I I posted about it. I posted on Facebook last night watching this episode like it is one of the greatest episodes with one of the most terrifying monsters of the week. (laughs) It's just and especially with the whole thing where nobody can say anything. Nobody can scream like you can't get help. Yeah, this this is the show at its best. They float out of their clock tower, levitating just above the ground, silently conversing as their straight-jacketed human hounds... Like, what the fuck? ...sniff about. Uh, Fun fact, a lot of these residential streets were also used in Desperate Housewives. And for those who watch the show, you can apparently pick out several of the characters' houses. But yeah, uh, let's talk about the gentleman. So, adding to the whole nightmare fuel, most of these performers were mimes. Mm Mm-hmm. Mimes and actors who had done creature work, the two big names, of course, being Doug (sighs) Jones and Camden Toy. Mm -hmm. Apparently, they were both terrifying, even in (sighs) rehearsal without the makeup on. And I know I said above that they dress like one of my favorite literary characters, a character whose style is often described as Victorian Undertaker. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, the Victorian era was quite instrumental in their design. The politeness, the suits, their human hounds, which are reminiscent of the patients in the asylum in Dracula. Mm -hmm. Even the metal teeth, which I did not notice they had because I don't want to look at them too much. Oh, I, I didn't like... Again, like I, I usually overlooked the metal teeth. It was actually Mr. Froggy that was like, holy shit, look at that grill. Yeah, so that's supposed to like almost represent a cross section of the Victorian era and the industrial age of like science defeats cavities. It's supposed to be this like very just classically creepy vibe, mm-hmm. which I think is what the creator called it. And I mean, it works because I'm worked. terrified yeah. of that. It, it was a very, it was, it was it was perfect. And again, like this, and we even said, like, it feel uh, like a lot of times it feels like a silent movie. Like, it feels mm-hmm. like it should be almost in black and white. 
So everything that would have made it more horrifying. So thank you for not doing that, yeah. cinematography people. Yeah, every everything about this episode has a classic horror movie feel to it. Unable to sleep, Olivia leaves bed and heads down to get a drink, maybe? (laughs) On a whim, she decides to look out the window and, ah, gentlemen. Oh, no. The way that they're floating, just floating by. Oh, God. No. I hate it. They don't seem to bother with her, though. (laughs) Just continue along. Silently floating. And it's like, I'm laughing because I'm trying not to cry because it's just like so so terrifying and the one thing i will say while i i hate 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 the gentleman um the music composed for their scenes Uh are are absolutely perfect because it is this almost like whimsical fairy tale Mm -hmm. fantasy type music which plays into their whole origin but it's just it's delightful to have this like whimsical like music playing while these motherfuckers are floating around town looking for hearts to whip out like Everything yeah. about this this episode is perfect. Yeah. Like it's it's you have it's it's one of those like dichotomy between this whimsical music and these horrifying motherfuckers. Like yeah. it is I there is not a lot of modern like especially in like a cheesy horror supernatural series. There's not a lot where you know we this is from 1999. I am in like we're in our 40s now. And watching this and talk like talking about it, like I'm having this feeling like we shouldn't be talking about it because we'll make it appear like yeah. that's how that's how the gentlemen make me feel like. Yeah, like, it do, is. Do not put that energy out into the world. It is like there is not a lot that can still terrify me at 41 years old. Like it is like I am sitting here like we're, we're like we're sitting here like I wish that this was a visual media. <laughs> I wish this was a visual media so that you can get the full picture of Mary and I talking about this because we are just... One day, one day we'll have to do uh, an, an episode where we we do it the video we put a as video. well and throw it yeah. up on YouTube so you guys can see our faces when we talk about stuff like this. Yeah, because I am like, I am getting that like when you think about something scary, I'm getting that like tears in my eyes scared kind of feeling talking about it and like that is the power of how well this episode holds up in the dorm they bypass several rooms including buffy and willows before deciding on room 118 they knock and when the boy who lives in that room answers the hounds drag him to the bed and hold him down all while the gentleman produces scalpel okay these fuckers seem to be all about politeness, right? So if the kid hadn't gotten up, if he hadn't answered the door, <laughs> would they have just moved on? I think so. That's so scary. They don't seem, because they don't, like, you don't see them, like, they could have just broken into the house. Yeah. Or into the apartment, like, they could just break into things. Like, because look, when Olivia sees them, they don't do anything, like, they don't do anything yeah, so to her. it must. That's so. I now need to know, like, also, what is their criteria for choosing victims? Yeah. Because like, it wasn't like anyone they see. Because, again, Olivia saw them and they let her be. Mm-hmm. But they see Tara later and decide to pursue her. So what is your criteria mm-hmm. for choosing victims? Yeah. Because, I mean, so I think at the I think at the I point. I mean, I don't want to know, but I want to know. No. I think at the point. I think at the point where they're chasing Tara, I think they almost have as many as they need. So it's like, oh, here's, we could get this like one last one right now. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. That would make that's, a little bit more sense. That's my, that again, that's just my, my theory. I can but, see it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. And so um, when I call this nightmare fuel, I am actually <laughs> not kidding. Uh, this scene in particular, the one where this poor college boy gets it, was based upon a nightmare the creator had <laughs> where like men were floating at him while he slept. So actual, oh. actual, actual nightmare yeah. fuel. Yeah. Yeah. Back in the clock tower, we see the gentlemen have managed to collect three hearts that night, which means four more are still needed, though. They don't seem faced by this. They'll have another go. And so they offer each other celebratory golf claps. Like the way that they're this this whole thing is so fucking I don't know. Like just again, like you said, they're you know, they're like they were, you know, in they were mimes too. So like this makes mimes even more fucking terrifying. <laughs> but just again, how polite they are and like giving the golf claps and bowing to each other and just being like super supportive bros being creepy. It's <laughs> super supportive and- bros being creepy. <laughs> that might be my favorite thing. Thank you. And and the other thing that makes them terrifying is how slow they are. Yes. And how slow they work. Because yeah. they they took the voice of everybody in Sunnydale. All they need are six hearts. Yeah. And they're just taking their time. I hate it. <laughs> the next morning, the silence continues. As Buffy goes to leave her dorm, she sees the campus security ushering people away from room 118. So, of course, she ducks in while they are otherwise distracted. At Giles's, he grabs the morning papers, which document another one of the killings, while Olivia sketches the bean she saw the night before. Together, these two things must strike a chord in Giles because he immediately goes to a row of his books and extracts a book of fairy tales. This leads to Giles and the Scoobies gathering in one of the school's lecture halls. And old tech alert, Giles is going to use an overhead projector and transparent pages to brief the gang on what's going on. So there's there's no PowerPoint yet. Mm -mm. We're not putting together PowerPoint slides. We have have written on our transparent pages with dry erase marker, and we're going to, to put those up. I miss an overhead projector. I love that Anya brought popcorn. I also <laughs> love that Giles brought along a CD of Dance Macabre to play. Um, Dance Macabre is a, a composition by Camille St. Seans, and it tells the story of death, who appears every Halloween and causes the dead to rise and dance while he plays his fiddle. They dance till sunrise when the rooster crows, and then they return to their graves. Turns out the gentlemen are fairy tale monsters who collect hearts. They come to a town, steal all the voices so no one can scream, and then murder. <laughs> Giles may not have had time to make artistic drawings, but he had plenty of time to use all the red marker. I do like I do like when he puts the first page down and it's backwards. <laughs> I get this, again, yeah, old tech alert like this. This is the problem. Like every, like you had to, you had to draw on the transparent sheets and <laughs> yeah. And I do like, I do like his choice of bringing dance macabre in. Cause yeah, because, and cause you have to also like, you have to think about things from the point of view of these characters. We're hearing music. They've got nothing. Yeah. So now at least now they are also hearing music. Yes. Yes. So at least they have music too. Anya seems very appreciative of like the gore in these oh, drawings. Yeah. She's just yeah. like shoveling popcorn. I love how mouth. she popped up she popped a bag of popcorn before 
coming to the presentation. <laughs> Picking up a whiteboard, Xander asks how they kill them, and Buffy makes a stabbing motion, which also kind of resembles a wanking motion. Uh-huh. Yeah. So she grabs a stake out of her bag for emphasis. Giles continues, in the tale, no sword can kill them. But once, a princess screamed and they all died. Grabbing a CD from her own bag, Willow holds it up before miming her own death. Very dramatically. Giles Mm -hmm. shakes his head and shows the next page. Only a real human voice. So how does Buffy get her voice back? Giles doesn't know. He shows one final page, one saying that Buffy shall patrol that night, and Buffy gets very insulted. Her (laughs) hips! Yeah. (laughs) Giles just points, telling her to go, and then points to all the others before pointing to a book. They're on research duty. I feel like they should have brought Spike to the presentation, but it's fine. We'll see him later. He's he's Uh, going to help. I but do, I feel like he should have come to the presentation. I do appreciate the fact that Kevin interpreted Buffy's outrage as her being mad about the outfit. <laughs> she didn't like that she was wearing a moo-moo. She did. Yes. He. Yes. That's how. That's so how he. It is supposed to be the size of the drawing. Um. Apparently that wasn't in the script. And that was something like Sarah <laughs> did. I guess the first time upon seeing the mm-hmm. drawing. And they just decided to keep it. Yeah. Yeah, no, but he he interpreted it as her being mad about the outfit. And I know we talk a lot about the network and the control various networks had in the 90s. Well, apparently the creator was very shocked that the network allowed Buffy's hand motion mm. to go to air. Same with the gesture that Anya will make in a few scenes. Yeah, I think also with with the gesture that, well, I mean, also it's it's great that they let Spike do the two finger salute. I have a feeling the network didn't know what that was. Yeah. Yeah. Like that was, that was something that was, and also, you know, like technically Spike curses a lot. He just uses British slang. So that was, but yeah, no, that I think the, I think the gesture that she was making was enough of it being vague where you could see that they didn't quite understand what she was doing. So she took out the stake. So it could even be something that was overlooked. Yeah, I mean, very well could. But Mm -hmm. for the writers and the creator who knew it was Mm -hmm. a wanking joke, Mm -hmm. they were very, very surprised the network didn't catch it. Yeah, we're like, hee, hee, hee. They start to leave and Buffy pauses for a moment, staring at one of the drawings of the gentleman. Down in HQ, Riley and the others are suiting up. They head on patrol, as does Buffy, both roaming the streets, keeping watch. On his patrol, Riley passes by the clock tower, which seems to be connected to an old church. (laughs) He sees the shadows moving within and advances. Meanwhile, Tara has found Willow in the student directory. Armed with her room number and a few magic books, she takes off trying to find her. She hurries across campus, trying to keep an eye out for any danger, but then she trips, book scattering. As she picks them up, the gentlemen spy her, which is when she takes off running, their hounds in fast pursuit. Okay. So remember a few episodes back when we talked about the importance of Oz and Willow's relationship, Mm -hmm. about how he saw her, truly saw her, and about how their relationship built up her confidence and allowed her to later see Tara? Mm -hmm. Turns out we were not pulling that out of our asses. Yes! Because when casting Tara, they wanted a new Willow. Someone vulnerable that we could get attached to and that they could put into danger. So good job, team, because we all got very attached to Tara. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I I feel very vindicated on the way that we... Yeah, like, she was brought in to be the new Willow. Yeah, yeah. Go, 
Go team. I'm glad it's nice that we are on the same page as the people who made this show. <laughs> on her patrol, Buffy spies one of the gentlemen going into a house. She watches until one of the creepy ass human hounds pops up. The fuck? Do they have did did is there any explanation for the creepy ass hounds? They, no, like just like basically that there's like it it plays into the whole weird Victorian theme. Okay. Is so the they, most, they didn't nobody they didn't they didn't actually give us any in the supplement like where they come from. Yeah, no. Why? No. Okay. All right. They I, just wanted like inmates from Dracula and yeah, we got okay. them. Okay. That's okay. <laughs> Buffy begins pummeling them. As Tara runs through the dorm halls, pounding on doors, trying to get anyone to open up and help her. No one does, though, and she continues to run. The gentleman may not be able to be killed, but these hound things can. Buffy snaps the neck of one before running after another. And Riley enters the old church alone. Because he's a dumbass. Where's your backup, sir? <laughs> he's beginning to sneak around when one of the hound things jumps him, sending him to the ground. He produces a, bat- a baton to hit it with, only to be tackled by another. Tara's still running through the dorm, climbing the steps as she moves to the upper floors. She begins banging on more doors, and this time, Willow hears. But it's not Willow's room she's banging on. It's one down the hall, one the gentlemen have already visited. Because when the door opens, that's who's there. One of the gentlemen holding a heart. The other's now coming down the hallway. The creator called this a Silence of the Lambs fake out. Yeah, yeah. I I could not recall the moment in Silence of the Lambs he was talking about, even though I've seen that movie 23 times. I know. I guess but, we're going to have to watch it again. <laughs> Tara takes off running again, running smack into Willow, who has now opened her own door to investigate. Together, they flee the hall. Riley is still fighting the weird hound things. Another comes barreling through the door, and Buffy soon follows by crashing through a window. They manage to get three hounds down, only to find themselves staring at one another. Guess both cats are now out of their respective bags. They don't get long to process this, though. (laughs) Yeah. Because while the hounds are down, they're not out, and the fight continues. We even get a shot from the credits, Buffy swinging across the screen, holding onto a rope, kicking one of them square in the chest. We get a short comedy of errors at Giles, where, (laughs) okay, you know, Spike is there helping with research. My theory continues to thrive. (laughs) He passes by Giles moodily and goes to the fridge, grabbing himself some blood. As he takes a swig, he goes all grr and then moves towards the couch where Anya is napping. Well, Xander comes back in, sees Anya's prone form, sees Spike with the blood mustache and assumes the worst. He tackles Spike, pummeling him until Anya gets up and gets in between them. She's fine. See? Fine. (laughs) Immediately relieved, Xander hugs her and also shrugs at Spike kind of like a, sorry. Spike's sawed off is clear in his facial expression. (laughs) And even Olivia seems pleased that everything is okay. Because, like with Buffy and Riley... Xander and Anya needed action, Xander's actions speaking louder than his words ever could. He thought Anya was in danger, and he rushed to defend slash avenge her. Clearly, he cares. Anya then makes a sex now kind of motion, (laughs) and the two run off. Not the time, guys. Oh my, well, at least nobody's gonna hear them. This is true. Willow and Tara are still on the run, down the steps and into the laundry room while Willow attempts to move a vending machine in front of the door. Because I guess while the gentlemen themselves don't really seem to be the banging down door types, their little henchhounds are. She can't move it physically and she can't move it magically, at least not until Tara helps. Lacing her fingers with Willow's, they concentrate both their powers and send the machine flying to the spot against the door. 
That moment, the way Tara threaded her fingers with Willow, the look between them, it was all intentional. Because while the writers didn't know exactly where they were going with Willow and Tara's relationship at this point, they did mean for this moment to be a sensual and powerful moment between two women. These hound things just won't die. Oh my god. really starting to annoy Buffy and Riley. (laughs) One heads up the stairs towards the tower and Buffy follows. Upstairs, she finds more hounds, the jars of hearts, the gentlemen, and the box with everyone's voices. She continues to fight, now ganged up on by like five of the hounds. Where do they keep coming from? I do not know, but they are like literally multiplying. (laughs) The gentlemen prepare to take her heart right up until Riley appears with his stun gun. It takes some work, but Buffy manages to signal for him to break the box. (laughs) Their voices return and she screams and screams and screams. One by one, the gentlemen's heads explode. And yet, Buffy and Riley still look at each other silently. Fun fact, that was not Sarah. The scream was dubbed by another actor. In the student center the next day, Willow walks with Tara. She was looking for her? Yeah, she thought they could do a spell. Give everyone back their voices. She saw her in group and she was different. The others, they didn't exactly know what they were talking about. Willow asked Tara how long she's been practicing and she says forever. Her mother, she was really powerful. Like Willow. Her? Oh no, she's not that great. Her potions all come out soup and her spells, (laughs) they often go awry. She's nothing special. Tara tells her that's not true, that she is. Okay, now we can see what's happening. We see that this is the beginning of Tara's crush on Willow. Mm Mm-hmm. But back in the day, this exchange right here spawned the mother of all theories, literally. So I tried to do some digging on the internet and tried to see if any of the message boards from 1999 still existed because I very distinctly remember having conversations with people following this episode because people glomped onto the line Tara says about her mother, Mm -hmm. how she was a powerful witch and how Tara sought out Willow with that same power when there was danger, which led to a whole group of people like believing that Tara was possibly Willow and Oz's daughter from the future. Yep. Like I, I have vivid memories of this. I, I yes, yes, because I remember, I remember being in school and this be like the girls that I watched it with. This being a discussion. Okay, so I couldn't find anything on that. But I did find where someone had compiled some of the things being said on Google groups at the time. And I think they might have meant Yahoo groups because I don't think Google existed in 1999. At least. And and if it did, it wouldn't be as big as it is now. But anyway, it was the shit show you might have imagined (laughs) because some people saw the subtext right away. Oh, no. Google was created in 1998, but it was in. So this, this, so again, a small niche of people like this wasn't as well known at the time, but I guess this is whatever who compiled the comments had been on back Mm -hmm. in the day. And so they went there looking to see like what people's reactions to this episode was. And I am very grateful for that. Um, because like I said, some people saw the subtext right away. Some saw it, but thought it would be limited to Tara, that she would become almost like this obsessive stalker. And what I find funny back then is that it literally said people thought Tara might be bisexual. So we could accept that Tara would be bi back in the nineties, but the fandom today can't accept the fact that Willow is quite literally bi. Yeah. Yeah. But Um, all because all because they have her say gay now. Yeah. Some people denied seeing the subtext, which, of course, sparked the fight of why do two women being close have to be lesbians? Well, why are you against lesbians? (laughs) 
<laughs> um, some just thought the creator was teasing the fans. But we'll talk about this because they compiled these throughout the season. So they have still what the network's response to this was. Mm-hmm. And the creator's announcement on the bronze when the cat was finally let out of the bag. So we'll talk more about, you know, people's thoughts on this, the network's response to this as we go through the season and their relationship becomes more defined. Oh, this is going to be fun. At Giles's, he relaxes on the couch with Olivia. So would she say this was her best visit yet? (laughs) She used to think when he talked about witchcraft and dark powers that he was being pretentious. Oh, he was. (laughs) (laughs) But now everything he told her is true? No, not everything. He wasn't one of the original members of Pink Floyd. (laughs) But the monster stuff? That was true. Scary. Too scary? She doesn't know. I need to know more about how they know each other. I know, I know. She calls him Ripper, which means she's known him for a while. But she also was clearly not part of the group. of his black magic circle. Or or we could also read it as her teasing him with an old nickname like that he told her that his nickname was Ripper. So, I don't know. There's so, so much. So okay, but again, I mean, I know we have to take it with a grain of salt because it's in the novels. Mm-hmm. But there is a scene in the first part of Lost Slayer, and we will obviously talk more about this when we come back off vacation, where she's going through the records with Oz and she's telling Oz stories of Giles's youth. Mm. So she, it's implied, at least in the book, that she was there. And we don't have any show knowledge to back this up because yeah. aside from the dream sequence and Restless, we will not see Olivia again until the comics. Yeah. So like, she's just remains this mystery, but I'm so intrigued on how she supposedly knows him. And like, does she know Ethan? I love Olivia though, and I wish we would have gotten... I do. Because it's nice to see Giles happy. It is. He deserves happiness. He does. And I love how I'm... (laughs) I love how he's like, Xander, you get Spike for the weekend. Because <laughs> I'm going to have The arrangement of Spike is great. <laughs> Finally, we arrive at Buffy's dorm where she's folding laundry. A knock sounds at the door and Riley enters. After greeting each other with a hey, Riley sits on Willow's bed. He guesses they need to talk. Sitting down on her own bed, Buffy agrees. She guesses they do. And yet, neither one says anything. We leave the episode with the two of them just sitting there staring at each other in silence because now that their words have returned communication has become hard again so it turns out the creator wishes he had cut this scene differently Mm -hmm. not cut it out but Mm -hmm. cut it differently ending it either right after riley or buffy's line because while we'll see doomed pick up right in this moment Mm -hmm. he didn't love the silence and the far off shot because it 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 felt like an ending shot it made it obvious that this was the end of the episode so he almost wishes he had cut it where like you expected the conversation to keep going and then Mm -hmm. it was like black yeah yeah the end so i think most people know the story behind this episode um but for those who don't The creator wrote this episode in response to a criticism he received. And it basically was that the dialogue was the main thing the show had going for it. So he nixed it. Mm -hmm. Out of the 44 minutes that make up the televised version of Hush, there are only 17 minutes of dialogue. And it worked. I mean, this was the only episode to be nominated for an Emmy for dramatic writing and for its camera work. Mm -hmm. And it remains one of the best episodes of this show and 
possibly all of television. Yeah, and I mean, I know, like, we we talked about it through the episode, but it is, I mean, it's one of those episodes where I think about it and I get creeped out. I think about the gentleman and then sitting down and rewatching it just brings back how terrifying it is. And so many, so many horror shows and movies and stuff from this era don't hold up that well. But because of the way this whole thing is played out, again, where nobody can hear you scream, it's all, a lot of it is atmospheric. A lot of it is anticipation. I mean, the scene where Olivia pulls back the curtain and they're just floating around outside. That is a feeling like whenever you look out the window on like a creepy night where you're like, am I going to open, am I going to pull the curtain back and there's going to be something there? I know, like when I get home after dark on a foggy night and I fully expect like Michael Myers to be standing under one of like the street lights on my street because my street is deserted. Yeah. Yeah. There was, there was this, there was this one time where I had been back home visiting my mom and I was spo- I was going to stay over the night there. But for some reason, I couldn't sleep and it ended up being midnight. I am driving down the Pennsylvania Turnpike at like 1230 in the morning. It was foggy. There was nothing around. And I am having this moment of something is going to come out of these woods. Oh, yeah. And I'm just going to keep driving because <laughs> fuck that shit. Yep. Like I was it just felt like. One of those moments where like a woman could have come stumbling out and I would have been like, no, I'm sorry, sweetheart. Nope. No, go. I will. I will call. I will call 911 and be like, hey, there was a woman stumbling out of the woods, but I'm a woman by myself. And I'm not, no, no, no. Well, and that's also why, like, I always make fun of you. I'm like, I need you to close your door. <laughs> yeah. Froggy forever like afraid like some paranormal activity is gonna start going on behind me. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was worse when you were in the other room and the door was literally behind right me. behind you. This is now just like where you're at now, it's like a little sliver. But yeah. <laughs> I'm like, no, I can't stare at that open door. And now right behind me is my my hut with all my my stuff and the books that no longer fit anywhere and are yeah. piled in every corner of my office. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fine. That's what you do with books. Yes. All right. That's it for this week. Thank you all oh, for wait, listening. Wait, wait, wait. Did we talk about Doug Jones? Well, I mean, I think we have we talked about him. This is not. Is this the first episode Doug Jones was on? I don't think it was. I yeah. I think he was. Hold on. I mean, going to Hocus Pocus. Oh, Doug Jones. Uh, no, this was the only episode he's in. Okay. I mean, wait, wait. Yeah, this is the only episode that he's in. I'm. I'm. Gonna have to go back and watch this episode. Not this episode, sorry. I got very distracted because apparently he plays a corrections officer in an episode of Sons of Anarchy. Yeah. And I'm like, how did I not like recognize him? But yes, Doug Jones is one of the greatest, like when we say a character actor, he does some of the greatest movie monsters and creatures. He was. Billy Butcherson in I think Hocus that's why Pocus. I just assume everyone knows who he yeah, is. I'm yeah. like, he was Billy Butcherson. He was Billy Butcherson. Like he is, he does a lot of the monster he was the, work the for fish Gal- dude. Guillermo del Toro. You know, he did, he was Ape Sapien in uh, Guillermo del Toro's Hellboy movies. He did a lot of the creature work in 
um oh he he was i mean he was pan's labyrinth he's the creepy ass dude with the hands and the eyes oh. on his hands so yeah a lot of times if you see a, a he he was the he was the body for the silver surfer in the fantastic oh, Four that's right, he was. Movie. yeah so anytime you see this slim ass creepy looking motherfucker it's probably gonna be doug jones yeah and along with doug was camden toy but camden yeah. toy is is more known for like he's done some creepy ass shit but it's really all been within the buffy verse yeah but yeah no this was the only yeah this was the only episode that doug jones was in which is yeah. surprising because yeah we'll see we'll see camden again because he's um the skin eating demon oh. in season seven Fuck. and he's the the nosferatu-esque vampire and angel mm-hmm He's yeah, he's he's done. He does a lot of creepy, creepy, buffy people. Yeah. But yes, I, I yeah. just had to give a shout out to Doug. Oh, Jones yeah, of course. He's, of course. <laughs> like I said, I just assume everybody knows who he is because he's Billy. Yeah. Well, but again, also, Mary, like children. Oh, that's right. There are children. There are children. <laughs> there are children who might not know that he's Billy Butcherson. Children, if you do not know Doug Jones is Billy Butcherson, what are you doing with your lives? <laughs> Like that is that is knowledge that will take you far in this world. Yes. I love I love I just love Doug Jones. I oh, I mean he's a great actor to love. Yeah. He's fantastic. Yeah. All right. Anyway. Now now we're done. Now we're done. Sorry. I, <laughs> we, I, couldn't, I couldn't let us leave. I couldn't let us leave without talking about Doug Jones. <laughs> Uh, that is it for this week. Thank you all for listening and make sure you join us next time uh, for book club when we'll be discussing the first half of The Lost Slayer. Until then, check out our various social media channels, all of which will be listed in the show notes. And if you like the show and you want to let us know it, you can subscribe, rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts or write to us directly at thewatchersdiaries at gmail.com. Bye! Bye! Bye.